Uh, and so if you don't know who I am, my name is Riley. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, I did not pay them, but I will reward them later. You know? um, and we're so glad to have you guys. It's a long weekend. Some of you guys uh, are here because you can't leave, and so you have to be here now because the roads. And I uh, appreciate you guys being here. Uh, and if you're new, uh, welcome. I uh, hope you feel just a sense of, of Jesus and love here. Uh, and so today we are concluding our summer sermon series on the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, Jesus' longest recorded sermon. And so today we're going to be wrapping it up, and then next week we'll be starting kind of our new, um, our new sermon series, okay? And so I want to start off with a question, okay? I want, you guys, I want to ask you guys something. Okay, what would you do or how would you react if I said this statement, that I believe that pineapple never should have ever been put on pizza and that it should be abolished forever? Okay, okay that, that's what I thought, okay? Some of you guys are going to be like whooping, clapping, you're going to be like amen, like preach it, you know? Uh, and the rest of you guys who are wrong would be like, hey, that's not, that's not great. You know, you have, you got something wrong. You should never judge food ever. Uh, you start judging me because of my uh, belief that pineapple shouldn't be on pizza, even though it is correct. Okay. Um, how about this one? Okay. I believe, I believe, this is a belief I hold dearly. Okay. I believe that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the best actor of our time right now. Okay. Okay. I, yeah, come on. Okay, I know you guys would all agree with me anyways, because it's true. Okay, but some of you guys would be like, what? No way. You're going to be like, have you even seen this? Like, did you know that actors don't need to have muscles? You know, you'd probably be asking me that. Like, have you seen this guy act? You'd be like questioning, you know, everything about me, all of my opinions and beliefs now, because you're like, this guy is a little cuckoo kind of thing. Like, what's wrong with him? Okay, and... (laughs) That's right. Uh, you guys would all start judging me, okay? Uh, I do love Dwayne. Actually, I got a gift. It's in my office downstairs. It's like a, almost a life-size cardboard cutout of his wrestling days, okay? Some of you OG fans out there uh, in his wrestling days, um, okay? But this is something we do every day, right? We judge people, okay? We judge people based on the food that they eat. We judge people based on what they like and don't like. We judge people on the way they dress, on the way they walk, the way they talk, okay? We judge people, right? It's a very human thing to do. It's something we do all the time, whether we even know it or not, okay? And especially in church, you know, we may think that, you know, church is a great place, but there's a, there's a lot of judgmental things here, okay? There's one musician I listened to, and this is one of his lines. He said, church is where I found God, but it's also where I learned to judge, okay? I've heard, I've heard a lot in my short life that a lot of people, non-Christians, are like, hey, I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not going to go to church because the moment I walk in there, people are going to start judging me based on, you know, my appearance or the clothes I wear. I'm wearing a hat, or they're going to judge me because they know some of my past and know that uh, I'm no one who deserves to be loved in that way. And they're like, so I won't, I won't go to church because I know I'm going to be judged so much there. Okay, and it can be true. Church can have some of the judgiest people in the world. And it's not a great thing. I don't know where we got that from. Okay, I don't know if it's like a pharisaical way of thinking of like, you know, the like righteous, like higher than thou. Okay, I don't know if it's from, you know, being like, oh, we know Jesus, and then we've twisted it in a way where we're like, oh, because we know Jesus and other people don't, we are better than. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of what judging someone looks like. Okay, I don't know where we got this kind of judgment kind of uh, label, but it's not good. It's not something that the church should be known by. It's not something that Christians should be known by. Okay, it's not something that should be attached with Jesus, because that's not who Jesus was. Jesus did not judge people in that kind of way. And so what does the Bible, 
tell us about judging. How can we judge people correctly? Okay, that's where we're going to land today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to 5. Okay, and we're going to slowly break it down. So we're going to read the first two verses that will be on the screen. Um, it says this. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. Okay, this is such a highly quoted part of the Bible. Okay, a lot of people are like, you know, you can't judge me. Like, the Bible says, do not judge, you'll be judged. You know, the, the phrase, only God can judge me, you can't. Um, people use it a lot because they don't want to be judged. No one likes to be judged. And so they quote this verse. And at first glance, it kind of makes sense. You're like, oh, yeah, like, do not, like, do not judge or you'll be judged. It's saying, do not judge. Okay, but again, we have to look deeper. Okay, in another uh, part of the gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking to Simon, and, and they say this. Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have judged rightly. Okay, so we know in this passage that there is a way that we can judge someone rightly. And so we ask, we're like, oh, it says do not judge over here, but it says you have judged rightly over here. We're like, is the Bible contradicting itself? No, by no means is. Okay, this is something that we can do that's dangerous is we take things out of context or we don't fully expand ideas and read the full passage before we kind of make a statement, okay? It's something we got to do. It's, a, it's a, called a proper hermeneutic. Can you guys say hermeneutic? hermeneutic? Pretty good, okay? I do that with my youth to make sure they're, one, awake and, two, listening. And usually they're pretty bad. They'll say, like, hermeneutic, and you're like, okay, close enough. I'll take it. Okay, but we need to have a proper hermeneutic of these passages. That means we have to understand the context. We have to understand the full reason, the heart behind what Jesus is saying, because that is when it gets dangerous, and we can start taking one verse, taking out of context, to say certain things we want it to say, even though it actually doesn't do that. And so we need to understand this passage in full context to know its meaning. Okay, so in this context, Matthew, uh, Matthew or Jesus is saying that he's not forbidding us to judge others. Okay, however, this passage, as one commentary puts it, is concerned with the fault-finding, condemnatory attitude, which is too often combined with a blindness to one's own failings. So this passage cannot be used to say, no one can judge me. Okay, it's an incorrect way to uh, interpret this scripture. Okay, we see that Jesus is saying that if we judge someone, then there'll be an action that follows, kind of this cause and effect Okay, and this biblical term uh, that Jesus is referring to is kind of you will reap what you sow. Okay, uh, back in the day when I was a wee little lad, yad, probably, yad, lad, but when I was like this tall, okay, I, I grew up in West Kelowna, I went to a church called Emmanuel Church in West Kelowna, okay, and I was best friends with the PKs, the pastor's kids, okay, um, and let's just say we, if you probably heard some stories, we were a little crazy, uh, we were a little wild, loud, obnoxious. You know, I wouldn't say we were disrespectful, but we had a very, 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 very short-term memory that would often restart after a few seconds. Okay, we like to push buttons of our youth leaders. We like to push button, the buttons of our youth pastor especially. Okay, don't take any notes, people. Um, Okay, but we are kind of the, the worst to deal with. Okay, the best picture I can put in your mind of what we were like is kind of this picture. This is what I pictured. Uh, is the t Tasmanian devil. Okay, we are three of these guys ripping around the church in our little tor tornadoes, just causing destruction, you know, breaking lights, uh, setting off fire alarms, things like that. Okay, we were wild. You know, disaster followed us everywhere. Okay, and so for six years, my two youth pastors that were there had to deal with us uh, us boys, and let me tell you, it, it did, it, they did a good job, because here I am, 
I've made it. Okay, they are still here if you're wondering. They've also made it. They just have a few more gray hairs. And you might ask them where they came from, and they would just you know, give the little eye if I was standing there like, <laughs> this guy. Okay, now fast forward a few years, and now I have a youth group of my own. Okay, I love these kids. They're amazing. They're awesome. But let me tell you, I am definitely reaping what I sowed back then to my youth pastor. <laughs> okay? Probably twofold. Okay, I'm like, they, I love them, but sometimes they can drive me nuts. And I'm like, why are you doing this? I just ask you not to, why are you doing this? Why are you saying this? Okay, I'm starting to get gray hairs of my own. And I'm so young. What is happening? I like to think that the Lord has a sense of humor. Uh, and he does. And I love it. Okay, that's what Jesus is getting at here. Okay, what we do to others is going to come back to us. Okay, how we treat others, we will be treated. What we, uh, what we sow is what we will reap. Okay, it's a biblical principle. It doesn't just apply to judging people. It applies to so much of our other everyday life. Okay, so we're being judged by two things. Okay, one, we're being judged by other people. As we know, we do it all the time. It happens in our everyday. But also, we are, gonna, we are being judged by God himself. Okay, one commentary states that the tense of the verb judged signifies a once and for all judgment. Okay, one where God is the agent of this judgment. Okay, the passage is talking about the great white throne judgment found in Revelation 20. Okay, a time when Jesus is going to judge everyone according to, uh, if they believe in Jesus, and according to the works and the deeds that they did when on earth. Okay, and we know based on this passage that Jesus is going to judge us in the same way that we have been judging others, the same way we have been treating others, the standard by which we judge. Okay, and that should honestly scare us a little bit. That God is going to judge us the same way that we judge other people at the end of our lives. Okay, listen to 1 Peter 1.17. It says this, And remember that your heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Okay, God is going to judge us. This is a fact. Okay, and so because of this judgment, we want to live in this reverent fear. Okay, we hear this statement in the Bible, the fear of the Lord. Okay, it's all over the Bible, so many times. And I think this, it's very beneficial to this conversation today. Okay, many verses that talk about the fear of the Lord and this judgment that he's going to pronounce upon all of creation. Okay, luckily this passage kind of helps us understand the word fear a little better. Okay, if you were here last month, there's a lot of different words that we kind of explored because the English translation of the Greek doesn't do it justice. Okay, this is similar here. Okay, but the, luckily 1 Peter kind of gives us a little bit more information as he says the reverent fear. Okay, and so the, the fear, fear in the fear of the Lord is defined as fear, terror. Okay, those ones we are kind of like, that makes sense. But then the also descriptions are reverence, respect, and honor. Okay, this is not a perfect illustration, but let me see if I can kind of get this to make sense. Okay, picture right now your all-time favorite, like, athlete, like, sports person, or your all-time favorite, like, musician, actor, whatever it is, okay? They can be alive or dead, just like your all-time favorite, top of the list, okay? Imagine them right now, okay? Picture them right now. You can't choose Jesus. This does not count here, okay? Pick your person, okay? Now, imagine they texted you, and they're like, hey, I want to hang out with you tomorrow. Like, do you want to go for coffee or something like that? Okay, like this is like the person, like the Michael Jordans, the, I don't know, Babe Ruth, the Steph Currys. I really only know basketball and a little bit of other, other stuff. But those kind of people, okay, picture them and imagine they asked you to hang out. 
all right? You would be excited, right? You'd be excited to hang out. You're like, man, it's going to be so much fun. I get to meet my person, stuff like that. But there's a little bit inside of you that's like, oh, man, like, I'm a little nervous. Like, oh, man, what happens if they don't like me? What happens if conversation doesn't go well? Like, what's going to happen? Okay, and then imagine they text you again. They're like, hey, actually, instead of coming away for coffee, let's say it's a sports person. They're like, hey, come play sports with me and my friends. You'd be like, woo, okay, you'd be really excited. Or maybe it's a musician. They're like, hey, come jam with me and my band. You're like, wow, I'm so excited to get to do this cool thing with this person that does it for a living. But then you'd be like, man, man, I'm kind of nervous to like mess up. Like what happens if I'm not good enough? What happens if uh, I don't do as well as he, th- as he thinks I'll do? What happens if I disappoint him? You know, we start getting this kind of fear of like, man, what if this happens? What if it doesn't work out? Okay, it's kind of, you kind of get this terrified feeling, this like anxiety inside of you. It's like, man, I don't want to mess up in front of them. Okay, you still love them, you hold them in such a high respect and honor, yet you're kind of terrified to let them down, you're terrified to meet them. Okay, again, it's not a perfect illustration, but it's kind of what the fear of the Lord is. One commentary writer puts it, uh, it's, and he says, this is not the cringing fear of a slave before a master, but the loving reverence of a child before his father. Okay, it's this respect, this honor, this reverence. Okay, remembering that he is God, that he is the guy who created the universe. Okay, the scribes, when they wrote the Bible, okay, before they wrote the name of God, they had to wash themselves fully. And then even then, before they wrote, uh, when they wrote his name, they didn't even write his full name because it was too holy. Okay, they, they removed the vowels in Yahweh. That's how holy this God is. Imagine having that kind of respect for a God, for our God. Okay, our holy fear grows proportionally to our comprehension of God's glory. But the opposite is also true. We will diminish his greatness, even to the point of human limitation, the less we fear him. Okay, nowadays in our world, we have minimized God. Okay, we have minimized him to our human ability to understand and standard. Okay, we've minimized him through, uh, you know, Books, illustrations, videos, memes, okay, jokes, costumes. We've minimized God into something that we can understand, and we have elevated our, our mortal man instead at his expense. Okay, we do not fear God like we should, church. We have lost our respect and awe and fear for him. We don't fear how powerful he is anymore. We don't fear how great he is. We don't fear him when we willingly sin against him. We don't fear this God. We treat him like he has no power, like he actually doesn't care what we do or how we act or what we look at or things that we do. Okay, how terrifying is it to be in that place of apathy? To think that we can completely understand God in a way where we have begun rationalizing our sin and being like, it's okay because God just loves me. You know, because that, that, that's what we understand about God. We don't, think of him, we don't think of him as a great and powerful God. We think of him as a convenient friend. How, how can we become comfortable with, a, with God? Okay, this is the God that created the entire universe. Okay, think about it. He created the entire universe, galaxies, space, earth, the tiniest thing on this planet. Okay, he's the one who has seen the beginning of time, and he's the one that will see the end of time. 
Okay, he's the one that continuously offers us and people grace and forgiveness, even though he knows that they will never choose him in the end. Okay, he's a God who's taken our sins, okay, and our people's past sins and all the way for the future, take them on himself. Okay, what God can do that? What God can take on the sins of what we do and put them on himself and then willingly die on the cross in our place? Okay, if we think we've comprehended that and understand that and be able to rationalize that, that's terrifying. Okay, it's the God that defeated the one thing that was final, death, is now risen and alive. Okay, the one who did all that yet, he looks at us and our little problems we have in life and he cares immensely. How crazy is that? How can we ever get to a place where that doesn't terrify us? That this God does that and cares for us that way. How can we ever be apathetic towards someone like that? We should fear him. Okay, this fear isn't one where we are scared to come close to him. No, this fear should drive us towards him. A fear where we don't want to be apart from him. I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to push him away. I don't want to keep him at arm's length so he doesn't know what I do. I want to be close to him. I want him to be close to me. It's our love for him that makes us run towards him and fear being apart from him. And so church, we got to learn how to lean into that holy fear. How to, how to learn how to give him his due glory. Okay, reminding how great he is. The songs we sang today were perfect for that. Holy is God. Holy is he. All creation cries holy. We sang those words today, but do we mean it? Do we mean that he is holy and great and powerful? Okay, because one day we're going to stand in front of him. Right in the last day, face to face, unveiled, we're able to see his glory, see his power, see his majesty face to face. We're going to see him one day, and in that day is when he's going to judge us once and for all. And we're going to have to give account of all the things that we do on this earth. All of our actions, all of our deeds, everything. He's going to know it all. And he's going to judge us on that day. And he's going to judge us based on how we have treated others, the standard in which we have judged other people. And so something that we, I, I, I know and I believe that we have to keep in our mind as we go in our day-to-day life, remembering how great and how awesome and have that respect for God. Okay, and so we're going to continue reading the passage, verse 3 to 5 says this, and, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Okay, I love this. Jesus is using a hyperbole to help people understand. Okay, and I love this because he uses things that he, that he used. Jesus was a carpenter, right? And Jesus uses kind of carpentry illustrations to help people understand, okay? Because a speck in the Greek means a tiny splinter of wood or straw, okay? Something that Jesus would have been well-versed in, okay? A log also mean, literally means a beam or a rafter, okay? These are things that Jesus used every day that he used to illustrate and teach people. And I love that. And Jesus is building off this idea 
that we shouldn't judge people, but is now adding kind of this clause to it. What he's doing is he's exposing our tendency to see the faults in someone else without seeing the same one in ourselves. And he also heightens the severity of someone who does this, okay? He, right in this passage, he calls a believer who does this a hypocrite, okay? Nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus ever refer to a believer as a hypocrite, okay? It's always to do with the people who are his enemies, the Pharisees and stuff like that. But in this moment is the only time he reserves this name for a believer who does this. That's how strong this is, okay? Saying that it's hypocritical, that we could help some of the faults in their own life when we ourselves have the same or a greater fault. Okay, it's kind of the idea of when you're on an airplane. They're, they're doing the safety instructions. They, you know, they have the seatbelt that doesn't actually belt into anything. They have the masks, and they're like, here's how you put them on. You know, they do the thing. I've actually never put one on. I don't know if I could do it. Uh, but they always say, hey, before you help someone else, make sure you put yours on first, and then you can help other people's. Okay, because they, they're saying this because they know that if you are not uh, helped, if, you can't, if you're in need, then you won't be actually be able to help anyone else. Okay, and so they're saying, hey, help yourself first, and then once you do that, then you can help other people because they know that that is the way that you're actually going to be able to help people. Okay, imagine trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye when you literally have like a log in yours. Okay, you're going to be like digging around in there. It's not pretty. You're not going to do a good job. Okay, we can do more damage than a speck of, of dirt in the eyes if we approach others with impatience and with ignorance. Okay, so in this passage, Jesus is teaching his followers that they need to see clearly before they can help others. And so in the context, he's saying that before we can judge others, we actually have to judge ourselves, this self-judgment. Okay, he did just that. Jesus did ju just that in John chapter 8. Okay, Jesus was teaching at a temple, a bunch of the Pharisees. And they, the Pharisees came up and they threw a woman at his feet. And they said, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. Okay, and they're like, the law requires us and says that the consequence is that we will stone her. They're saying, so what should we do? And Jesus kind of goes and starts drawing in the dust on the ground. And they're like, Jesus, what are, what are we supposed to do? This, the law requires us to do this. Can we do it? Should we do it? And Jesus continues to draw. And eventually, he stands up and he says, okay. He's like, he without sin can throw the first stone. And then continues to draw in the dust. And then one by one, each of the people left until there was no one left. Okay, these people had already judged her. They deemed that she deserved death. Okay, they didn't look at themselves. They just saw her and said, she is in sin, so we need to judge her. This is the consequence of her actions as she receives death. Okay, but Jesus turns it on them and says, hey, you have sin in your life too. And if you don't think you have sin, then you can throw the first stone. But each of them, as they looked upon themselves, realized that each of them actually deserved judgment and the same judgment as she deserved. And so one by one, they walked away because none of them was without sin. You know, Jesus made them see the log in their own eyes. Okay, it's like this. When we're in church, okay, and we, and we, uh, we see people, we point our fingers at them. We're like, hey, like you're doing this wrong. Like, hey, you can't be doing this. Hey, you shouldn't be talking like this way. You need to fix your theology. That is wrong theology. We start pointing our fingers at people. 
Okay, and we're like, you've done this wrong. What Jesus does is he takes a mirror. Okay, and he actually, and he places it in front of us as we're pointing. So as we point at someone, say, hey, you're doing this. Jesus puts the mirror right here. Okay, and all we can see is our own finger pointing back at us. Jesus is saying that before we can judge someone else, we actually have to judge ourselves in that same standard. Okay, before we can cast judgment on someone, saying you're doing this wrong, Jesus is like, actually, look at your own heart. Look at what you are doing wrong. Okay, we, we talk to someone, we're like, hey, this person seemed really shallow. I tried to talk to them. They didn't really want to talk to me. They seem annoyed. I don't think they like me, so, you know, I'm not going to like them. I'm going to have a bit of a, a, an aggression against them. Okay, Jesus puts the mirror in front and says, why don't you care about loving my sheep? Okay, we, we point out people like, oh, they should be dressing this way. You know, it's Sunday. We got to wear our, our Sunday best to church, but they're showing up in, in dirty clothes and hats. And, you know, they, they shouldn't be dressing that way. Jesus points the mirror back at us and says, why do you care so much about outward appearances and not the state of the heart? Okay, we point our fingers like, oh, these people have been asking me to serve over and over and over again. Don't they know that I've already served? I've done my time. I don't need to serve anymore. Why? How dare they keep asking me? And Jesus turns the mirror at us and says, why have you grown apathetic to my call to serve the church? That person has done so much wrong. They shouldn't be here. They don't deserve to be in church because I know what they've done. Jesus turned at us and says, how many times have you willingly turned your back on me and sinned against me? You know, we say, this person doesn't deserve to be here. They don't truly love Jesus. They're just pretending. Jesus turns it. says, why don't you love me enough to allow me to change your heart? Okay, every time we judge someone, every time Jesus turns this mirror at us and says, he without sin cast the first stone. So have we self-examined ourselves have we looked at our own lives and the sin in our own lives and taken the log out before we look to other people? Because often we like to skip that step. We like to plead ignorance. And just be like, oh, I see this in you. I got, let me help you with this. But yet we've ignored our own cry for help. We've, we've become ignorant of our shortcomings. And instead we want to point out faults in other people while we ourselves are steeped in our own sin. Jesus saying that we cannot help others until we have asked for help from him first. So Jesus isn't prohibiting us from judging others. That's not what the text is saying. But he's saying that we need to judge ourselves first, do the work in our lives before we can judge others. One commentary describes it saying the purpose of self-judgment is to prepare us to serve others. Christians are obligated to help each other grow in grace. When we do not judge ourselves, we not only hurt ourselves, but we also hurt those to whom we can minister. Okay, our self-judgment not only helps us, but is beneficial to those around us. Okay, the Pharisees judged others to make themselves look good. Okay, but Christians, we need to judge ourselves so we can make others look good. So Jesus isn't prohibiting judgment. But what he wants us to to do is he wants us to bring the word close to our hearts in order to allow it to correct where we have faulted. Only after that can we bring the word to others to help them see what Jesus is calling them to do, the faults in their life. Okay, we want to bring correction and direction to people. But ultimately, we want Christ to change their heart. 
That's the goal. So how do we do this? Okay, it isn't, it isn't easy for a person uh, who is needing correction. Okay, we all know that. None of us like to be corrected. None of us like to be helped, okay? But it's also hard for the person to give correction. And so how do we do this? You do this in two ways. And Jesus explained it in Luke. In grace and in truth. Okay, so first we have to approach with grace. Okay, and we should have these in mind. Number one, we should recognize that we have all fallen short. We all sin. Okay, recognize that. Two, recognize that God will judge each of us according to what we have done and how we have treated others. Okay, we need to fear what God is going to say and how we have gone against his word. Number three, we should recognize that others need to be shown the same grace that we have been shown and received. Okay, once we've done that, that helps get our heart ready, helps us examine where we are at. Okay, that's when we can identify everything, help, and ask Jesus to help us deal with that. And once we have finished that grace aspect, then we can turn to our truth. And this is what we should know when we do approach people with truth. Number one is that we should have already established a relationship with that person. Okay, so don't go up going to somebody you don't know and be like, hey, I see this in you. You got to fix this. Okay, we don't have a right to speak into someone's life we don't know. Okay, so you must have an established relationship with that person. Number two, non-Christians are not held to the same standards. Okay, we should know this. They don't believe in Jesus, so they don't have to be held to the same standards. So don't go around judging non-Christians on what they do and how they act. Okay, that's not, that's not allowed. That's number two. Number three, okay, we can judge actions, but we cannot judge the heart. Okay, that's reserved for the Lord. Because only Jesus knows people's hearts. Only Jesus knows people's motive, yeah, motives. Okay, only he can see that. He will see the deepest and darkest secrets of our heart. He knows each person. We don't. And so we can only judge people based on what we see, okay, their actions, how they act. Okay, leave the rest to the Lord. And just before I finish, um, I'm going to read a quote, okay, because only after we have judged ourselves and we have self-judged, you know, when we do that correctly, it actually begins how we view people, how we see people. So when we go and bring correction, we have done it the best way. So I kind of want to end on a quote from a pastor I know, I know. And they said this about this passage. It says, a passage that says, Then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. I've often considered this verse to mean that once you've dealt with the sin and shortcomings in your life, you will see with more clarity the issues to be dealt with in the lives of others. However, after dealing with some significant flaws in my own character and confronting sin that was deeply rooted in my life, I see this passage a little differently. More like Jesus intended, I think. Once you have dealt with the significant issues in your own life, you realize that the perspective you gain isn't only clarity with which you see others' shortcomings, but also the mercy, compassion, grace, and love with which such, such things ought to be addressed when we deal with in our own lives we realize that everyone deserves grace everyone deserves compassion everyone deserves love and it's only there that we can help bring correction to people in a loving way and so today I want us to respond 
Okay, we aren't going to go around judging people, helping point out people's specs and stuff like that. No, we're going to start with some, some self-judgment. So first, if there's anyone in this room that's like, you know what, after listening to this and, you know, I've, I've, Jesus has been working on, on my heart, like I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to say that he is Lord and to accept him. Okay, I just want to give that opportunity for anyone. Uh, so if anyone like, would like to give their lives to Jesus today, if you just want to give me a little wave, I'll pray for you. Yeah, see you. Yeah, I see you. Awesome. Awesome. Pray for you as we finish. Okay, now let's respond, church. Okay, maybe you need to grow in your reverent fear of God. That, real, that you've realized that you have minimized God's glory. That, you, that you've bring him, brought him down to your own human understanding. They don't fear him at all. And so maybe today you should take a few minutes and ponder upon him. Ponder upon what he's done, who he is, everything that he's done and that we know in the Bible. So you can bring yourself and tell yourself that he is a great God and that he is holy and deserving of all the praise. And how you need to fear being apart from him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to ask God to help you self-judge yourself correctly. Taking time to ask the Holy Spirit, be like, hey, where have I faltered? Where are my shortcomings? Where have I let sin into my own hearts? And just ask the Holy Spirit to bring to light those things so that you can work in your own heart. You can judge yourself and bring you right before Jesus. Okay, so maybe that's you. Maybe you gotta take a few moments and ask the Holy Spirit what needs to change. Okay, maybe you need to, be, uh, need to see how you've been judging others recently. Re- reflecting of how you treated others today, this week, this month, this year. Recognizing that maybe you haven't been fair in your judgments, that you haven't been Christ-like, that you've been pointing out specks when you have logs in your own. And so maybe you gotta, it's time to ask for repentance and forgiveness, saying, hey, like, Lord, I'm sorry for doing this. And maybe it requires you going to that person and asking for forgiveness. I'm also going to invite the prayer team up to the front. So if you need prayer or anything, please come up. And so would you guys stand with me if you're able to? Okay, because church, we want to respond to Jesus. I say it every time and I'll say it every time again. I do not want to leave here the same. Because that's me encountering Jesus that is not the real one. Because there's no way that we can encounter him and leave this place the same. And so let's encounter him. Let's do the work in our hearts. Let's put in the works. Okay, and let's praise him for his due glory. Praising our king. So let's pray before we worship. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you are so holy, God. You are so mighty, so powerful, the creator of the universe, God, and you love us, each one of us individually, so much, Lord, that you went to the cross, that you took on our sins, you thought about me, you thought about every person in this room, Lord, and you took on our sins and you died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could see you face to face in all of your glory one day. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, those who said that they want to declare you as Lord over their life, Jesus, I pray right now, would they say that, Jesus, I believe that you came, that you took on my sins and you died on the cross, and that you have risen again, Jesus. 
And when they say, would you be Lord over my life? Would you direct me? Would you call me? Would you show me what needs to be done in my life to call you Lord and to continue chasing after you, Jesus? Would all of us, Lord, do that every day? How can we follow you better, Jesus? How can we serve you better? How can we become more Christ-like, Jesus? So would right now everyone in their own hearts begin to self-examine, self-judge themselves, Lord? And would you begin to point out what they need to do, Jesus? Whether it's learning how to have a holy, reverent fear of you, God, putting you back on that throne. God, maybe it's helping them self-examine themselves, Lord. They need help pointing out where they've gone wrong. Jesus, or maybe it's apologizing and asking for forgiveness for those they've judged unfairly, God. Lord, we all do work in our hearts right now, Jesus. And it would be sing your praises, Lord. Pray us in your name. Amen. And so if you need prayer for these responses,